it's difficult to transition out of that, but one thing that we, we have confidence in is that God is in control, that God, God knows all things. He is sovereign over all things, and uh, He brings things into all of our lives for our good and for His glory. And so we pray to that end, and uh, now is the time to, to rally around a family that we love. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, the section that we're going to be looking at this morning is a long section of Scripture. It goes from Luke chapter 7 verse 1 all the way to Luke 9 verse 50. You may wonder why not to the end of chapter 9. Well, this, this passage, this section really does end in, in verse 50. Next week we'll begin in verse 51 of chapter 9 and you'll see why that's a, a new section in Luke's gospel. Now, there are two major themes in Luke's gospel in this section from Luke 7, 1 to 9, 50. Uh, the first major theme is a question that, that Luke poses himself uh, and, and through various of the personalities that he records about. And the question is this, who is Jesus? So, so this whole section is about who is Jesus? Now, just listen as I go through Five examples where this question is asked, starting in Luke 7, verse 18 to 20. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. That is all that Jesus was doing. And John the Baptist, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In other words, who are you? John had previously stated that he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now he's in jail. Now he's wondering, is he really? You'll notice that Luke repeats that question twice. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? That's intentional redundancy on Luke's part. He could have just said that they, came, they went to Jesus and asked him the question. Going down to verse 49. After Jesus forgives a uh, prostitute who had come and barged in on him at Simon the Pharisee's house, those who were at the table with Jesus began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? Further down yet in chapter 8, verse 25, after Jesus calms a storm, he says to his disciples, where is your faith? They're afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? That he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Down further again in Luke 9, verse 7 to 9. Now Herod the Tetrarch, who had put John in jail, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And Herod sought to see him. And again, down in chapter 9, verse 18, 
Jesus himself presses the question twice. Now it happened that he was praying alone and his disciples were with him. And Jesus asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others, one of the prophets of old has arisen. Then he said to them, asking the question a second time, but who do you say that I am? Luke, in this passage then, is trying to answer this question, who is Jesus? But rather than just telling us, and, and we in the West, we would like, just like uh, Luke to tell us who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Messiah who has come to die, to take the sin of the world upon his shoulders, to be buried, to rise again, to ascend, to return to judge the living and the dead. Uh, that's sort of what we would want Luke to say to us. Just sort of summarize it for us. Give us the goods in, in five or six sentences. But Luke doesn't do that. Rather than telling us who Jesus is, Luke has decided inspired by God to show us who Jesus is. And that's, that's what these chapters are all about. Luke is showing us who Jesus is. He is answering this question, who is Jesus, not by telling us, but by showing us. Now, ultimately, he does give us the answer in chapter 9, verse 35. So Jesus is uh, up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He reveals himself to his disciples, and then... God himself speaks and answers the question. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So God answers the question. This is my son, my chosen one, the Messiah. Listen to him. It's at this point right near the end of this section of Luke's gospel that the second major theme is made clear. The second major theme flows backward from the words of God the Father and fills up this entire passage. God says, listen to him. What we're going to see as we go through this passage is that all kinds of sickness and illness hears and obeys the word of Christ. We're going to see that death itself, death, that, that, that force that seems to have the last word, that, that death that seems to conquer all, death itself hears and obeys the word of Christ. We see that sin, the power of death, hears and obeys the word of Christ. Sin is unable to hold on to someone whom Christ has forgiven. We see that nature itself hears and obeys the word of Christ. We're going to see that demons hear and obey the word of Christ. Now, that, that would be a nice, tidy 
sermon or, or passage or, or section in the Gospel of Luke, but Luke complicates matters. Even though sickness, death, sin, nature, and demons hear and obey the word of Christ, Jesus himself shares parables. He, in fact, shares a parable about why he teaches in parables, and he says that no one can actually hear me, no one can actually obey me, unless their ears are opened by God. And then we see that principle illustrated, well, by the Pharisees, sure. But it's really difficult for us to get our heads around the fact that Luke illustrates this point through the behavior of the apostles who are walking with Jesus, who have been chosen by Jesus. They are hearing the words of Jesus more than anyone else. And in, in Jesus' parable, he says, to you the, the, the mysteries of the kingdom have been given, uh, what we don't find out until later is that they just totally don't understand or hear the mysteries of the kingdom. They hear, but they don't understand. Thus, they cannot obey. These are the apostles. This morning, I wrote to you actually uh, earlier that I wasn't going to read it all. And I had a, I had a sermon that, that sort of cut through this text a little bit more efficiently, but, but the weight of what God the Father says on the Mount of Transfiguration sat upon my soul, and I could not get out from underneath it. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. That's the climactic point of this whole section. And what Luke has done is he has showed us the implications of what God the Father is saying, both the good and the bad. And so what we're going to spend the rest of our time on is I'm going to read this to you, making some comments, but we're going to listen to him. To the word of God and specifically within the word of God, the words of Jesus Christ. And we're going to watch as Luke shows us the ways in which people respond to the words of Christ. And we're going to remember that this whole section in Luke's gospel is to answer the question, who is Jesus? And it's to impress upon us how important it is that we hear. And upon hearing, we understand. And upon understanding, that we obey. So let us open the words of God in Luke's gospel, starting in Luke 7, verse 1. This opening pericope, a pericope is a subsection within a passage. This opening pericope really is linked to what Jesus had said on his Sermon on the Plain, right? Let's start up in verse, or chapter 6, verse 49, and then we'll flow forward. The one who hears, hears the words of Christ. And does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Chapter 7, verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death. And this servant was highly valued by him. 
When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, Oh, he is worthy to have you do this for him. He loves our nation. He is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word. Say the word. And let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This opening pericope really summarizes what we should glean from this whole passage. Hear the words of Christ. Trust that the word of Christ is powerful. Trust that it will have its proper effect and rest in that faith. You'll notice that the centurion did not even go to see Jesus himself. He sent his servants to deliver his message just as Christ can just say the word and it will be done. Christ can send servants, you and me, and his will be done. So Luke opens this whole passage with the exemplary illustration. Continuing now in verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples uh, and a great crowd went with him. And he drew near to the gate of the town, and behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the bier. That's the the coffin that was being carried. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up. And they began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And they glorified God. God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now just think of this. Have you ever been to a funeral and there's someone lying dead? Could you imagine in the front of all these people walking up to that one who was dead and saying, I say to you, arise. And the dead corpse sitting up and beginning to speak. I mean, let us not forget the power of this. I mean, we know that Jesus raises people from the dead so, so we can just sort of read it and sort of not be impressed. Jesus, by the power of his word, Raised a boy from the dead. What power. 
even death must obey the words of Christ. Continuing in verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? I love this. Rather than answering them, he just goes to work. Verse 21, in that hour, so in response, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And then he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In, in short, yes, I am the one. I am the Messiah. And what he's doing there is he's fulfilling Old Testament scripture. And so John would know that. So he sends John's messengers back. He says, tell John that I am fulfilling all of these Old Testament messianic expectations. Which, you know, when you think of it, the Pharisees should have seen that and known. Any educated Jew should have seen that and known that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. Continuing in verse 24, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing uh, and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Now, this is a little bit complicated to understand how it fits, but actually, if you just allow yourselves to understand the context, uh, messengers from John the Baptist, John is in prison, messengers come to say before a great crowd, are you the Messiah? Jesus goes and heals a bunch of people and teaches about all these things, says in front of all these people, go and tell John what you have seen. Now, in case the crowds had missed it, he, he, Jesus is not really talking about John so much as he's talking about himself. He says to the crowd, did anyone here go out to see John? Why did you go out there? Because you thought he was the, a prophet? Some of you probably thought he was the Messiah. Well, he's greater than a prophet. And then he quotes Malachi 3.1. He says, John is the promised prophet that will precede the Messiah. So, so, in the parlance of the day, what Jesus is saying very plainly before everyone is, John is the prophet prophesied in Malachi, which makes me the Messiah. 
Now, those who had gone out to see John, they, they, they loved it. They said, this is great. But the Pharisees, because they had rejected John, have no choice but to reject, because of their pride, reject Jesus. They missed the prophet who preceded the Messiah. They will not humble themselves. Remember, they're hearing the words of Christ, but they're not listening. They're not understanding. They will not humble themselves. And so because they had rejected John, they must now reject Jesus. That's the point. If only they would have heard very plainly Jesus declaring to them who he was. Knowing that he was rejected, verse 31 To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. Son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, a friend of sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Jesus is saying, this generation that has heard me with their own ears and rejected me are like children who, want, who sit in the marketplace singing songs at people, trying to control the people as they pass by. Children who, who speak but do not listen. It's quite a condemnation. They, with their own ears, heard the words of Christ and rejected him. Continuing in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, that's a prostitute, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, wiping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is and who is touching him. She is a sinner. And Jesus answered, or answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender who had, had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As you're reading back over that sometime, look at all of the the, the times were said, and he said, and I say to you, and he said, your f- sins are forgiven. With the word, Jesus forgives sins. And sin has no choice but to obey the word of Christ and to be forgiven. A man who has power over sin and death and sickness Who is this Jesus? Continuing in chapter 8. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming, speaking, preaching. Proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. That's important. The 12 were with him. They saw all of this. They were hearing all of it. The 12 were with him all of the time. There were also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Implication, Jesus cast out demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Don't have time, but look at the the ministry of women at the time of Jesus, following him as his disciples, not his apostles, but disciples giving up everything, providing for, uh, for Jesus and his apostles. Now Jesus is going to give us some parables which captured the point of this passage, that we are to hear, and hearing we are to listen, and listening we are to obey, but he's going to say that's impossible unless God opens our ears. Verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and it grew, and it yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's another really important verse in this passage. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9, his disciples apparently did not have ears to hear because they don't get it. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing 
they may not understand. Now that's, that's intriguing, right? I've given you the secrets of the kingdom. This parable is for those people that don't have the, king, the kingdom so that when they hear it, they won't understand it. Uh, but the disciples heard it and they didn't understand it. There's some irony there. So now he has to explain it to them. Now, he's explaining it to them because to them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given. So he gives them extra grace. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who... When they hear, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a little while, and in the time of testing, they fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked up by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So the whole point is a lot of people hear the word of God. A lot of people hear the words of Christ, but they don't hear it. For whatever reason, uh, the words of Christ don't sink in. They don't have their proper effect. They don't produce a harvest. It's only for a few. He tells another parable that's very similar. Verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now this parable is often used to talk about what is hidden in us. And don't, don't put a, our, a bushel over our lamp. And, and there's some truth to that and there's some application. But primarily, it's about the gospel. Jesus is saying, look, God has not hidden the truth. I am the lamp, and I am not under a bushel. I'm here. I'm speaking out loud for people to hear. But not everybody hears. Not everyone sees. That's why he says in verse 18, take care how you hear. It's right there. This morning, I'm reading two and a half chapters of, of the Bible. The word of God is right here. You are hearing it. There's no bushel over this lamp this morning. Do you hear? Now, this kind of sermon is different, right? You might say, well, could have explained it a little bit more. Take smaller bits and explain more. But that sort of works against this whole passage, right? The medium is the message. We're, we're hearing the words of Christ, so let's implore God that he gives us ears to hear. Verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God. 
and do it. So if you are hearing and understanding this morning, you are the mother and brother and sister and child of Christ. You're his family. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came up on the lake and they were filling with water and they were in danger. And they went and they woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased. There was a calm. And he said to them, where's your faith? They were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands and even the winds and the water and they obey him? Now this often gets used to talk about there's going to be storms in your life, but Jesus is in your boat if you believe in him and he will calm your storms. I think there's some application that we can do there, but that's not the primary purpose of this. The primary purpose of this here is to show two things. Who is Jesus, to ask the question, but also to answer it. He is the one who has authority over all nature. Who has authority over all nature but God himself? That's the point, the primary point of that passage. Verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. And he said with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for we demons, uh, so, sorry, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. These were the same demons that were breaking chains and causing this man to run out into the garrisons and to inflict damage on himself. Jesus gave them permission. Permission requires authority. The one in authority gives permission to the one who is subject to that authority. Verse 33. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear." So he got into a boat and returned 
The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done. The disciples had just said, who is this who commands the wind and the waves? They were afraid when a, when, when a storm arose because they didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know that he had authority over all nature. It's followed up by this episode where this legion of demons knows precisely who Jesus is. That's also ironic. The Pharisees don't get it. The people who lived in the garrisons didn't get it. Even the disciples didn't get it. But the legion of demons knew who Jesus was and they sought his permission. Shows you that knowing who Jesus is isn't quite enough for salvation. That's a side sermon. Verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus says, who is it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounded you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. And how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and James and John. And the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep. For she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called out, saying, child, arise. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Remember, uh, Jesus' mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and obey. Then he brings this woman with the bleeding disease into his family and says, daughter. Because at some point she had heard the words of Christ. And she had understood that he had power to heal. And by faith she approached Jesus. So she's a daughter of God and of Christ. And here Jesus speaks the word and this child, 12 years of age, who had died, comes back to life. Again, don't let it lose its amazement for us. He's raising people from the dead. He's healing women that have never been able to be healed. Chapter 9. And he called the 12 together. 
apostles. Remember, they're watching all of this, the 12 apostles. And he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Let's really just make a note of this as we proceed through the, the rest of uh, to this morning's passage. He gathers them together and he says to them, I'm sending you out with my authority. I'm going to give you the power that I have and the authority that I have over demons. I'm going to give you the power and the authority to cure diseases. I'm going to give you the power and the authority to proclaim with your words the kingdom of God. Let's see what they do with that. Verse 3, and he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed, and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So they do heal in the power of Jesus' name. Now, this whole idea of if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your shoes, that's because they're not receiving Christ. So you see here the principle of ambassadors for Christ, which the apostles were the original ambassadors. We also are ambassadors, not in the same way. Verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. Obviously, Herod had beheaded him by this point. He heard from some others that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On the return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and they welcomed, he welcomed them, and he spoke of them to them of the kingdom of God, and he cured those who had need of healing. Now the, began, day, the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him, and he said, send the crowd away, and go into the surrounding villages and countryside, so that they may find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. They still don't quite get the power of Jesus. Verse 13, but he said to them, well, you give them something to eat. There's a test. Do you or do you not know who I am? Do you or do you not know the power and authority that I have? Do you or do you not know what I am able to do? They failed. They said, well, we have no more than five loaves, two fish. Unless we are to go and buy more food for all these people... For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. He broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. What Jesus here is doing is he's reenacting the manna from heaven. He says, I, I, I am the one who sent manna from heaven. In John's gospel, John actually, uh, Jesus actually says, I am the manna from heaven. 
But here, what we see is he's showing these people, I'm the one who sent manna. Yeah, we're in a desolate place. Yes, there's nothing to eat. But I provided for Israel for 40 years in a desolate place. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I'm able to do? I could feed these 5,000 men and their families. Verse 18. Now it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets of old has arisen. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? This is test number two. Do they, do they get it? Peter answered, the Christ of God. It's the right answer. But he doesn't get it. And, and this is a warning for all of us in the church. We can say that Jesus is the Christ and still don't know who he is. And for the rest of our passage, that's exactly what we're going to see. Jesus has heard the right answer, but he knows that Peter does not yet know who he is. So Jesus says, that's the right answer. But I think you have a misunderstanding of what that means. Verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying... The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, the scribes. He has to be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, we find out in other Gospels that at this point Peter protests. So we know from other Gospels that Peter is not on board with this definition of what it means to be the Christ. We don't get that right here, but we're going to see that it follows, that Peter hasn't got it. We're going to see that. Jesus here is defining for his apostles and for us what it means that he is the Christ. He is the Christ who has power over nature, over sickness, over death, over sin, over demons. But in order to extend this power, extend this salvation, he has to go to the cross. And then he says something which is also not very popular among followers of Jesus. He says, if you know who I am, if you have a right understanding of who I am, it will change who you understand yourself to be. Verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And by that, I believe he's talking about his resurrection from the dead. Judas was there. Judas did not see it. 
So what does it mean for us then to follow after Christ? It means that we are to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily and follow after him. It it means that we have to have a right understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, So often we want the crown without the cross. Uh, We we want the glory without the suffering. We, We want the salvation without the obedience. Jesus doesn't work that way. If, you, if you're truly hearing what I'm saying to you, if you truly know who I am, that you will follow me to the cross. You will hear my words and you will submit to me. You will obey me. You will deny yourself and your own will. I think a big part of what it means for us to take up our cross is to recognize that we cannot earn our salvation. When we take up our cross, what we're doing is we're, we are acknowledging that we can't do it. And, and when we give Jesus our sin that he might pay for them, then, then we join Jesus on the cross. But more than that, it's obedience to his word. Now, taking up our cross is not looking for the best way to suffer. It's not suffering for suffering's sake. Otherwise, there'd be many non-Christians who could say they're bearing a cross. Bearing our cross is knowing who Jesus is and following him to the cross by doing what he asks us to do. Now, suffering will come along with this. But suffering for suffering's sake is not cross-bearing. Verse 28. About eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. And they spoke of his exodus or departure. The Greek word is exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now Luke adds this, not knowing what he said. Peter acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, but he didn't get it. He did not understand the cross. He thought that the the kingdom was coming, and, and this was the first step, that Jesus was in his glory, and Moses and Elijah had come to reinstate the kingdom. And, and Peter says, this is good. But he was talking when he should have been listening. It's a big problem for Peter. It's a big problem for many of us. Talking when we should be listening. As they were saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So we've already gone to this end, right? So we go back and we see all the ways in which 
many powers and forces listen and obey Christ, but do his disciples? Do we? On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. But I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Hmm. Why not? They didn't get it. Remember, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. I'm sending you, I'm giving you power and authority, my power and my authority, says Jesus, to heal people and to cast out demons. They were unable to do it because though hearing Jesus, they did not understand. So Jesus gets frustrated, verse 41. Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation. Talking primarily to his apostles. How long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. And the way that Luke writes this, it's just so easy, right? Oh, I'm so, why couldn't you do this? Come here. And as he was coming, the, the demon threw the boy down. And he just said, I, I rebuke you. Get, get out of here. The demon fled. Now, while they were all marveling at everything that he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, and he calls the 12 around himself, let these words sink into your ears. You just hear the frustration, right? I, how many times do I have to tell you this? The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. It's probably in reaction to this marveling of the crowd, right? The crowd thinks that, wow, maybe the kingdom is coming. You have to understand something. We can have no kingdom until we deal with sin. Otherwise, Jesus is alone in his kingdom. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Let these words sink into your ears. Unless your sin has been dealt with on the cross of Jesus, you're not in his kingdom. You cannot have the kingdom without the cross. But they did not understand. It was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. If, has this been concealed from any of us here this morning? Maybe the preacher just didn't use enough of his own words. 
If you don't understand, ask. Ask first and foremost. Ask God. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. And then read this out loud to yourself and your family tonight or tomorrow or the next day or every day. And plead with God that you would understand it without me having to teach it to you. Verse 46. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. They don't get it. Oh, the kingdom's coming. Who's going to be the greatest? I'm the, I want to be the greatest. I want to be the greatest. Now, but before we snicker, how many of us want to be the greatest in the church? He who suffers most is the greatest. He who serves most is the greatest. This is a frightening part of this whole passage is how much we can be like the disciples. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child, put it by his side, and he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Now notice that Jesus does not say that it is a bad desire to, des to want to be great in the kingdom. That we should all desire to be great in the kingdom. And yet it's the one who makes himself the least who serves the most, who endures suffering, who is truly great. But they didn't get it. Look at John's answer. <laughs> Jesus just teaches them about this, and then this is how John answers. But John answered him, uh, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. Are, are we glad when other churches are sharing the gospel and they're growing? May, they, their, their doctrine's all wrong, right? They're not one of us. We can't, we can't be glad for that church. They're not one of us. They don't, they don't believe about baptism the same things that we believe. Let's tell them to stop preaching the gospel. Because we want to be great. And because we've heard Jesus' words and we get it. Jesus said to them, don't stop him. The one who is not against you is for you. That's a biting way to end. That's, but that's how Luke ends it. it. This is so encouraging, right? This passage is so encouraging, but, but the, the downside is that it bites into us. It demands us to reckon with ourselves. We can say that Jesus is the Christ and have no clue who he is. 
But what we can affirm, because Luke has shown us, not just told us, he has shown us who Jesus is, and he has shown us the failure of the original apostles, uh, we can affirm that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We, we can affirm that his words have power, power over sickness, over death, over sin, over all nature, and even over the demons. It's the words of Jesus that have power over life and death. It's the words of Jesus that have power over heaven and hell. And as his church, we must listen to him. And yet, the very thing that, that, that I'm exhorting us to be and to do, we cannot do on our own. It could be concealed from us. And we'd be powerless to reveal it to ourselves. We are commanded to listen, but without God's help, we cannot hear. Even the disciples were hearing without hearing. Therefore, what we must do, we must pray that God open our ears, open our ears, that we might listen and listening that we might hear, and hearing we might obey. Our goal at South Shore will always be to hear and to obey the words of Jesus Christ, the chosen one of God. Let's listen to him. Let's pray. Lord, we, we want to hear you. And hearing, we want to understand. I pray for us as a church. Help us. Help us to hear and understand and obey. And that which is concealed from us, reveal. Reveal it to us that we might walk by faith and in faith by obedience. I pray especially for any individuals here who, like Peter, could name you as the Christ, and yet they do not know who you are. Help them to see that you are the one, the one and only true God with the Father and the Spirit, that your words have power over sickness and disease, demons, sin and death, and all nature. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.